Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 98. I am Dr. Ryan Gray, your, one of your co-hosts here every week. We are a co-host down. Verinia Granum can't be with us. Um, she has fallen ill, as they used to say in the old days. Uh, but unlike the old days, thanks to modern medicine, we don't just bloodlet to help people get better. Isn't that a wonderful thing? (laughs) (laughs) Indubitably. Um, We are here for Ask the Dean, where we answer your pre-med and pre-PA questions. So if you have them, keep them flowing over at maps.tv. That's where we pull uh, the majority of our questions from our YouTube uh, kind of uh, channels there. Mm -hmm. Uh, As always, I'm joined by the marvelous Mapped team, starting with our co-founder, Rachel Grubbs who has 20 years of experience in the pre-med and MCAT space. How are you doing today, Rachel? I am excellent. I'm happy to be here. One of my favorite highlights of the week every week. Every week. And assuming everything goes well, uh, I will be meeting you in person for the first time. I know, for the first time. For all these years of working together, it's going (laughs) to be amazing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I have had the fortunate privilege, I won't add any sarcasm today, the fortunate privilege of meeting Dr. Scott Wright several times. What? Including a few weeks ago at AMSA in D.C. Yep. Yep. Uh, Former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMDSAS, which is open, as is AMCAS and ACOMIS. Scott, what is your one key piece of calm uh, motivation for students as the application season is open up for 2022-2023? Yeah, I think the the key here is when when we talk about early – application. We talk about submitting the primary in a timely fashion. What that does not mean is on the day it opens. Uh, It means be thoughtful, be uh, careful, uh, be intentional uh, with uh, what you're doing in the application. You do not, early application does not mean you have to submit it right away (laughs) the second it goes live because that's when mistakes happen. Yeah. Yeah, those mistakes, they'll get you. Uh, No need to rush, right? We we typically say, if you can get it in in the month of June, you're doing great. Yep, yep. I agree. So. I agree. Cool. Let's rock and roll. All right. Let's see what questions we've got. Angelina asks, I decided to do a fifth year to save money and got a 4.0 for the last 35 credits of science GPA with an upward trend, but at a 3.2, should I do a post back? I'm worried admissions won't see the improvement. So Dr. Wright, this is always a big source of fear is always, have I done enough? (laughs) When, When is enough? Whether it comes 
from uh, writing a personal statement and have I done enough edits and is it perfect enough? Do I have my activities just right? Is my school list perfected? Is my GPA good enough? So it sounds like Angelina's done the work, 35 credits, Mm 4.0. The question is what would a post-bac or an SMP add in her case? It would add a distinct GPA, um, a distinct post-bac GPA to the, the, the record uh, of GPAs. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily, uh, Angelina, that you should do it, uh, but that, that's what it would add. If you, if you did that, it would add uh, an additional GPA that is distinct from the other GPAs that says, you know, that says uh, this is the level of work that I, I can do. Now, in your case, what I, what I, Angelina, what I would say is you've done that work already. Uh, it's going to be clear you, you're over the three, you know, you're over the 3.0 mark, which is important for some medical schools because they'll screen it, screen you out if you don't have a 3.0 or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I definitely think that, uh, um, I, I don't know that I think a post-bac would be necessary in your case uh, because of that. Uh, it certainly wouldn't hurt, uh, assuming that you do uh, continue to do well in a post-bac or an SMP. Uh, but uh, I would say, you know, based on what you've said, 4.0, last 35 credits uh, in, in the sciences, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird because it's a distinct GPA. It's still undergraduate GPA, mm-hmm. but it's distinct in terms of how you categorize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, the question is, and we can't answer that, how are medical schools viewing and sorting and, and doing all of that stuff? Right, and and right. what weight do they put on different uh, categories of GPA, whether it's a master's GPA, post-bac GPA, or undergraduate GPA? Mm-hmm. And so it always comes back down to uh, what, what I've been saying a lot lately is at the end of the day, if you are comfortable applying with what you have right now, knowing that it could be better, right? if you're okay with that comfort level, with that risk level, whatever you want to call it, right. go for it. Right. At the end of the day, it's only time and money. That's right. And, you know, my my assumption, Angelina, is that if you're a traditional student, which I'm I'm guessing you are, uh, you're only 20, what, 22, 23 years old. Time is on your side. I say that as a 58-year-old man who time is not on my side. <laughs> oh, you got lots of time. Yeah. yeah and, I mean, it can be hard to have that perspective. Like, I talked to someone once yeah. who was 24 and was like, I am not applying to med school when I'm 25. Like, you know, it's just too late. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Says who? Like, well, who made up that rule? Really? Um, really? You know, like, uh, we've got people applying this year who are over, um, over 50 who are working with us. Um, it's, you know, when you're 22, a year is a bigger percentage of your life than it is to us. But, you know, have some perspective when you're, when you're retiring, you're not going to look back and think, oh no, if only I'd practiced one more year, you know? Um, so it's just, are, are you ready or not? Are you willing to risk it? If, if you are, um, you know, we're all really maybes in the med school application process anyway. So, Mm -hmm. you know. 
like Ryan said, time and money. Yep. Yeah. Uh, time and money. We all have lots of that, right? Lots of time, lots of money. Piece of cake. <laughs> if only. Uh, Emmanuel asks, does the advice for med school applications also apply to PA school applications? For example, should the personal statement for PA school be a story crafted around why do you want to be a PA? So great question. Uh, I actually don't specifically know what the, the exact prompt is, but my assumption is that it's exactly the same. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, if not exactly the same, it's probably very similar. Yeah. So Scott, you, you have some experience ha- having uh, kind of run a pre-health office at UT Dallas for a while, mm-hmm. um, working with lots of PAs. Did you see any big differences between a PA personal statement and med school personal statement? Uh, not really. Uh, here's the prompt for CASPA. In the space provided, write a brief statement expressing your motivation or desire to become a physician assistant. Yeah. There you go. It's basically the same That's thing. Identical. It's even, I think, even clearer. Yeah. Than yeah. The, yeah. The, the MDOs. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. MDO, yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. So the, the pre med question is why medicine, and the pre PA question is. YPA. YPA. And you have 5,000 characters to do it. So it's even the same length, basically. So. And yeah. uh, just a reminder that pre-PA students can also use the MapDAP software. Um, yep. There's a free trial for the pro level and, and then a free forever level. So um, that is definitely a benefit available for whether yep. you're applying this year to calculate your GPA or if you're applying a few years out to track everything. Yep. Yep. There you go. All right. Carson asks, I'm super confused about HIPAA. So first of all, HIPAA is two A's, not two P's. Could you explain it? I thought we aren't supposed to talk about identifiers, but it seems everyone does. I'm a scribe, so I'm nervous about it. So Hmm. (laughs) I'm not sure what you mean by identifiers, Carson. So Typically in the in the HIPAA world, um, and and I, I kind of consider myself my my wife always tells me I'm the HIPAA police. Um, uh, I hate HIPAA uh, because nobody uses it correctly. Mm-hmm. So if if uh, I, I remember during my internship, I, I was calling out to a, like a cardiology office. I was like, I I have this patient who's admitted. I need their records. Can you send them? And they're like, okay, we'll send you a HIPAA release form. And I'm like, no, that is not what HIPAA is for. (laughs) Like HIPAA is for you, the doctor provider, sending out information outside of other providers (laughs) as the treat. I'm treating this person right now. I need their information. That's not what HIPAA is for. So anyway, nobody knows how to use it appropriately. Everyone wants to cover their butt because we live in a very litigious society. But anyway, at the end of the day, your goal is to not provide enough information that somebody knows who you're talking about. Right. Right. So you don't want to use patient names. You don't want to obviously use date of births or addresses or emails, phone numbers, all, all kind of identifiers. We call that PII in the general world, right? I- identifiable information, personal identifiable information. But you also don't want to, and this is very tricky. And I, I think a lot of people on social media, they go for the clout and they go for the like. And they'll post a picture of um, some super crazy x-ray, right? And it's like, oh, look what this patient ingested. Or more often it's, hey, look what slipped up someone's rear end. Uh, because that's just what people do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, <laughs> note to everyone, make sure if you're playing around, like good on you, explore your body. It's great. Make sure things have 
ends and flanges and stuff. So like it's a vacuum up there. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, um, if a patient were to stumble across your in- in- Instagram or whatever and go, Hey, that's me, right? That's a HIPAA violation. If they, if they can identify it. Um, so I, I don't know, Carson, how specific you, you need to get, but it's always safe to just, not talk about patients yeah. as best as possible. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give it a specific example. Last year's application Academy cohort, um, a student in their personal statement was, was talking about a patient and always try to de-identify patients, right? You don't want to use their real name. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were so specific about the school's quarterback being hurt in a specific game and I'm like, well, I know who that is, right? It took mm-hmm. me, it took mm-hmm. me ten seconds in a Google search to go, oh, you're talking about this guy. Mm-hmm. So you just, you just need to be careful. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I would say about that is that you, um, you, you don't want to use enough, like you just said, Ryan. You don't want to use enough identifiers that somebody could identify who, who actually is the person. Mm-hmm. The other part of that is the that often applicants go so far to de-identifying anybody that they don't want to even identify the doctor's name. Yeah. HIPAA does not protect the doctor. No. Nope. HIPAA protects the patient. You can tell the doctor's name is Dr. Smith or Dr. Jones or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that, that is not a HIPAA violation. Yeah. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. I assumed that the context of Carson's question was for essays he's writing for the application now. So, you know, I kind of brought it up in that light and yeah, obviously not using names, but also not using anything too specific, right? Don't say quarterback of a football from my school. We can Google that. You could say a collegiate athlete and not mention what school or what sport, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's just, Mm -hmm. there's smarter ways to do it to make sure that, um, you know, uh, every everything is on the internet, and many of us have mad googling skills. Right. <laughs> so right. assume that the readers have that. Right. Be right. safe. Yeah. Yeah. And you can even change. You know, depending on the story that you're telling, you can even you know not only for the patient's name, you can give a, a false name. Uh, you know, and and the way that I typically suggest that students do that is either they put the name in quotes mm-hmm. the first time they say it, or they say. I'll call her mm-hmm. Martha yep. or whatever. Exactly. Uh, and you can even change the gender if it's not a gender specific situation. Yep. Yep. So, you know, maybe the, maybe the patient is a woman and you change it to a man's name. Uh, so that even de-identifies it even more. Yeah. So you can do, you know, things like that, 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 that protect you. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rachel, I want to bring up a specific question here because there's a change to AMCAS this year, which is great. So Samrit asks with the new AMC or AMCAS anticipated hours breakdown added this cycle. Do we do this hour breakdown for combined activities like shadowing in the description, especially e-shadowing? So let's, let's talk about the change. So I I was made aware yesterday, uh, that AMCAS has now added when you you still have your 15 activities, when you go into the details of those activities, what you see is now instead of hours, and then you can add dates and add more hours, add dates and add more hours, um, they now have a section where it's completed hours and anticipated hours. 
And so it makes it very clear, hey, from uh, my date range, let's use this application cycle. My date range, I started scribing in January 2022. And right now it's May 2022. If I tried to put in June 2022, it will give me an error to say you can't put a future date in here for completed hours. So you would put, and it only uses months, so no, no date specific, but just months, months and years. So I would put January 2022 to May 2022 because that's this month. And then I would put however many hours I have completed up until today. 100 hours, 200 hours, whatever it is. And then below in anticipated hours, I would say, well, yeah, I'm going to continue scribing between now and when I start medical school. And I'll put that in the anticipated hours spot. Previously, they wanted you to just kind of add it all together. The date range would be start date and end date of when you're starting medical school. And all of the hours are kind of lumped together. And some some students would, would try to hack their own system of showing anticipated hours by adding an extra date row. We don't need to play that game anymore. We don't need to do anything. So the question is, what about combined activities like shadowing? And it's the same. There's, there's no difference there. What have you done up until today? Combined all of your activities. And what are you going to do anticipated combined mm-hmm. all of your activities? Right. So I think, I think a positive change for AMCAS there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, agreed. Wait. Positive? AMCAS? Positive. Yes. Yeah. We, we have to say good things. We're talking yes. to Patrick and the AMCAS yes. team next week. <laughs> yes. Good. Yeah. We have to say good things. You know, they're human beings just like us. They are human that's beings. Right. We like, that's right. Change and growth. Right. And yeah, I think that's a very smart improvement. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Let's see. Ava asks, would it be bad to send a second update letter four months later? The school I interviewed at encouraged us to communicate continued interest throughout the cycle. Sounds like you answered your own question there. Yep. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Unsolicited. No, but they gave you the green light. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's nice when schools are very explicit. Makes it yeah. easy. Takes the stress away. Like, yeah, exactly. Tell me what you want. <laughs> uh, Charlotte Bear, do I need to submit transcripts again if I end up applying more than once? Yes. As a non-trad with many transcripts, that gets expensive. I'm sorry. Hoping I misunderstood the need to do that more than once. Um, so I think a comus is different. Um, check me on that. But I think a Comus, you don't have to. Uh, but I'm pretty sure AMCAS wants you to resend transcripts. Yeah. And, and Scott, TMDSAS, I think, does as well. Yeah, and TMDSAS does it a little bit differently, however. They don't want transcripts until they, until ask, they ask for them. Yeah. And they're not going to ask for them for everybody. They're only going to ask for them for people that are they're verifying, which would be interviewed applicants. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that helps a little bit. Yep. But yeah. yes. And uh, we're going to continue to get lots and lots of application type questions because tis the season. And that's fine. You guys keep bringing them. Um, but, you know, the AMCAS handbook is 92 pages long. The Comus and Texas handbooks aren't even handbooks. They're just, you know, many, many, many web pages. We've got a lot of it committed to memory, but not all. So yep. we are going to strongly encourage you to bookmark those things and reference them like crazy. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't have those bookmarked already, you got to read them at least once, and then you're just going to control F find nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so check me on the Acomas one. If anyone knows or wants to go look it up as we're doing this, Uh, let me know. All right. Tristan asks, does dyslexia stop admissions from med school? Only if you stop yourself. Yeah. Then yeah. doesn't stop. Mm-mm. Nope, nope. I knew I knew a lot of students in med school that were uh, dyslexic mm-hmm. or yeah. uh, some other learning disability of some yeah. sort. Yeah. I'm working with a student right now who's dyslexic and yeah. wants to talk about it in his personal statement. I'm like, no, it doesn't belong because it's not a, part, a big part of why he wants to be a doctor and he wants to put it there to show what he's overcome. I'm like, no, that's not the goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Awesome. Grace W. Looking at a secondary question. All right. Grace is moving ahead. Uh, explain how you know that you want to spend your life studying and practicing medicine. How can I make this different than my personal statement? Good so I, I hate the secondary because, and I've seen it before, um, because it is, right? Uh, it's supposed to be what your personal statement's about. And I would venture to say a large percentage of students don't make their personal statement about why they want to be a doctor. And so the school is like, geez, like we just need to be more explicit and let me ask. Yeah. Um, and so Grace, if, if you're great with your personal statement, you follow our advice. It's about why you want to be a doctor. You're just going to expand a little bit more, maybe go into a little bit more detail um, and just, just yeah. go there. Maybe look yeah. forward, forward uh, kind of looking future looking. Yeah for the secondary essay. And uh, Ryan kind of already pointed this out, but Grace is looking ahead. I think that's great. I always recommend looking at secondaries as you're finalizing your school list. Every year I talk to someone who says, you know, I applied to 30 schools and then I end up only submitting 14 secondaries because I got overwhelmed or I realized some of them weren't fits and I didn't know how to answer Save yourself the primary application fee. At least be glancing at the secondaries now to ensure fit. And -hmm. then that leads to our second, you know, we've got a few adages that we kind of always repeat. And one of them is pre-write your secondary. So uh, when when your primary is in and you're waiting for your application to be verified, that's when you start your secondaries. You don't wait until you get them. Um, And you can do that by going to secondaryapps.com. We've got a repository there. Yeah, so the two schools that I know of, I, I think Duke, I always confuse Duke and North Carolina. I think Duke's secondary is like 14 essay prompts. Uh, yeah, ridiculously yeah, long. Yeah. Um, and so close. students are like, yeah, no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, a school that I love, Carl, Illinois College of Medicine, it's an engineering based medical school, and they have a very unique secondary essay process. And a lot of sc- students are like, yeah, no, this isn't for me. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. favorite, my favorite secondary question, I think it's from Rosalind Franklin, is uh, if you could be any, if you could be a superhero, what would you, what would you be, and what would be your superpower? Yep, yeah, I like that one. Nice. <laughs> uh, and USC, I think, has the nickname one. Like, what, what, yeah. what nickname would you give yourself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and don't answer it. So, so here's a, here's a secondary tip. Uh, Cause I see this a lot. So I, again, I think it's USC, the, the uh, Keck um, in, uh-huh. in uh, California, not mm-hmm. South Carolina. Right. Um, a lot of students will answer that question 
Well, my nickname growing up was blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's not the question. The question is, what nickname would you give yourself? Yeah. Right. Answer the question, people. Yeah. Yeah. Your nickname growing up was probably created by a sibling or a parent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Or a bully. And you just. Yes, that's exactly right. You can't bully me anymore. I own this. Uh, Lily asks, did COVID cause med schools to delay timing of interviews? Had a friend apply in June 2021, but he didn't hear back from schools until March. He had a great application and just got accepted last month. No, that's relatively normal. I mean, it's, it's not it's not super common to have a lot of interviews later on. Um, DO schools typically have a little bit later interviews. Um, but yeah. Schools schools are looking all the way up until class starts uh, for for students. Yeah, we it's somewhere on our on the Med School HQ Instagram, maybe a couple months back, we posted a timeline of the interview process. And one of the things people don't realize is you could get it as soon as August. So that's when we want you to be ready for your interview is, is August. But it it really can be as late as March. And every year it seems like there's a whole bunch kind of October, November, and then another spate, February, March. And I think sometimes that's just back after the holidays, getting back into it. And I think sometimes it's some people are already making their choices. So some spaces are opening. Um, but I always think that the interview season is the hardest part because there's so much waiting, you know, mm-hmm. from, from August to March, you're going, yeah. <laughs> you know, and trying to just go on with your life. <laughs> Checking your email every two seconds and, which is something we we've been talking about at Mapped. How do we how do we reduce some of that anxiety? Yeah. Uh, by maybe handling some of that communication for you. Yeah, it's, it's <sighs> in the works. Well, yeah. it's on the brainstorming stage. On the brainstorm. But yeah, what we'd like it is if you check your email twice a day, not every two seconds. That that'd be better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see what else we got. Amy did this for us. Oh, yeah. Acomas, uh, you don't have to as long as your transcripts are the same and you haven't taken more classes. Yeah, that, that's what I remember. And it stood out because it was different. Uh, thank you, Amy. Yep. Um, so this is if you're reapplying, uh, you do not need to send new transcripts if you haven't taken more classes. Anissa. Hello, Anissa. Hey, Anissa. Uh, daintily strong on IG. If you primarily did e-shadowing in combination with in-person shadowing, how would you recommend writing it? Who do you put as a contact? So this comes up a lot, uh, whether it's e-shadowing and in-person or multiple in-person um, shadowing opportunities. Who do you put as the contact? And I typically say either... Number one, there's no rules. <laughs> there's no rules to any of this. Uh, put the last person you've shadowed with or um, the one who knows you the best. Yep. All right. That's it. Uh, yep. there's, a, there's a 99.999% chance they won't get called. So right. at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Right. And just, just put someone uh, that's going to know you. Um, and then how do you write it? You can, you can just list it. Um, so if you have like 10 different shadowing opportunities, number just, one, that's fantastic. Just, just list them, right? Yeah. Dr. Smith, 10 hours, this date range, Dr. Jones, five hours, this date range, just do that. Right. Um, if you want a short little blurb, again, there's no rules. Just, just do what you think feels right. Yeah. And yep. talk to Scott. Yeah. 
<laughs> we just talked yesterday. <laughs> yes, Anissa's always got questions. She's a hungry yeah. learner. We yeah. like it. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's an interesting one from Andrew. Andrew asks, what if we have a grade change in a course after we submit our application? Do we get to change the grade on this particular course on the app? It's a great question, probably very specific to the application service, and you're mm-hmm. just going to have to email them, call them. Yeah. Uh, because once the application is verified, I, I think it's going to be hard. The big question is, does it really matter? Is yeah. one grade going to make or break your application? Probably not. Uh, if it changes from an F to a W, then, hey, maybe that's, that's what we want to work with. Yeah. Um, if you're going for a late withdrawal or, or we're able to, to get a, a grade change, um, mm-hmm. just reach out. You may have to send a new transcript and they, they may have to push something through. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Sheeta? I was, like, I was looking, I don't know how to say that one. Uh, my question is about training programs. I did a medical assistant program at an institute, and right now I'm studying for the CCMA exam. How do I describe this activity on my application? Scott, you want to take that one? Rachel? Rachel? <laughs> Rachel? Rachel? I was going to answer real pithily. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, go Do it. My pithy answer is, Sheeta, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Because it's classes. It's not, and literally activities are extracurricular activities. If you're taking courses, that's curricular. So even though a med assistant program at a vocational school, you may not submit that transcript, studying for an exam, taking a course, that's not the meaningful thing. The meaningful thing is the med assistant work you get after you get your certification. Yes. Yeah. This comes up all the time with EMT certificates specifically. It's like, hey, 200 hours. EMT certificate. I'm like, I don't care about that. That doesn't like, tell me what you did with it. Right, Scott? Yeah, yep. yep. absolutely. I want to know what you were doing with that and what the meaning of that was, you know, to you. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right. Another common app question. Toro asks, if a particular grade on my transcript is replaced due to a retake, do I still input my first grade? Absolutely. Yeah, so this is uh, where a lot of confusion starts to come into this world, is that each individual undergraduate or graduate institution has their own policies for grade retakes and what they excuse me, what they do and how it looks on your transcript and is it actually taken off the transcript, all of that stuff. Every institution does their own thing. For AMCAS, for ACOMIS, for TMDSAS, you have to put every single grade and you have to put every single course that you've taken, no matter what. Even if you retook it, yep. Even if you retook it, even if you're... Uh, institution removed it from your transcript. There's a little bit of honor code in there, but uh, the application services have access to these big clearing houses and they can, they can check this stuff. So um, just because it's not on your transcript doesn't mean there's not a record of it somewhere. Um, So don't lie because that, that will be an immediate huge red flag on your application um, that you are uh, dishonest. So Don't do that. Um, several years ago, um, now it's it's crazy how long it's been. Uh, several years ago, the DO application did honor grade replacement, um, but through some legal proceedings, they decided to stop doing that. So yeah, 
which is okay. Mm-hmm. Quick tip from our friend McKenna. Hello, McKenna. I made a separate email for all my med school stuff so I could just turn on notifications for that. Highly recommend. Yeah, yes. so I, I recommend it. I have some hacky ways of doing things. Gmail has has some cool features where uh, in case you didn't know, like my name, this isn't my email address, but if, if my email address was ryan.gray at gmail.com, the dot Gmail ignores, right? So everyone out there saying my email is this dot whatever at Gmail, you don't have to say the dot. So I literally could do r.y.a.n.g.r.a.y. You get the, you get the gist um, at Gmail and it would still work. The, yeah. the dots are completely ignored by Gmail, but you can filter by those dots. And so for AMCAS, you could do like ryan.gray um, at Gmail and you give that to AMCAS and you don't give it to anyone else. Or you could do ryan dot whatever you you change it for a comus and then Mm -hmm. you can set up filters and do all kinds of things so there's some fun hacky things yeah you can also do plus so like instead of name at gmail you can do name plus amcas at gmail name plus tmdsas at gmail um or yeah or like they kind of said just just make another email um Mm -hmm. But the the biggest issue that we have here at Mapped, and it isn't specific to Mapped, I just I know from years in sending corporate email, is many many med schools, many companies, many institutions use automated email servers, which can flag spam. You guys have to check your spam and junk folders, and then you have to find out if your email has other filters. So, like in Gmail, a common one is promotions. In Yahoo, I think it's called receipts. I don't know what it's called in your various school emails, but schools tend to be very spam happy. So I would not recommend using your spam email or your school email to apply to med school. You're going to lose too many emails. Um, So use, use something like a Gmail and then be Mm -hmm. diligent about checking every single folder. Um, You know, the search box at the top, you can search the entire inbox, but people just look in the top box and then go, it's not there. I'm like, you got to, Dig deeper. Yeah. It seems silly to have to say it, but people yeah. don't do it. They don't realize. Yeah. You don't want to miss an uh, email. Yeah. Let's see. Zach asks, I have a bit of an uh, interesting non-trad journey. I've been a nurse in the NICU and PDER during COVID. Oh, wow. Um, I have not had much recent volunteer due to work. Um, lots undergrad. Uh, will this hurt my app? So, all right. So the question, this is always a confusing question for, for students, for us and for students. Is this word volunteer? So Zach, are you meaning volunteer clinical or volunteer Mm non-clinical you work as a nurse you don't need volunteer clinical experience right right paid paid clinical experience is great there's there's no benefits you're you're not like anointed a saint if you have more volunteer clinical hours than not right right? so if you mean non-clinical volunteer then it just it is what it is yeah yeah i want to make a venn diagram yeah, so Zach I'm says I'm going to do it on the fly, but I'm going to make one for the future. <clears throat> this comes up so often. 
Yeah. yeah. He's talking about volunteer non-clinical. Yeah. So, so I would venture to say I, I've never seen directly someone not get admitted because they haven't done enough habitat for humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There are some schools that care more about community service, but, yeah. but usually they're and, more focused. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, if you're totally devoid of any community service at all, that could, that could be a problem. Yeah. And so, you know, now, now uh, Zach, you didn't say that, but so I, I would say, you know, at this point, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. You, you know, you're just going to submit and whatever happens, happens. But in the future and for applicants who are looking, you know, in the future for their for their application, uh, keep in mind that, you know, medical schools in general want to see students that are involved in their community. And I had a, I had a uh, um I had somebody the other day who was, uh, I was talking to them and they had a lot of community service within the context of their institution, of their undergraduate institution, but they didn't have any service outside of that. That was the community that they were really involved with. And, uh, and I think in that case, you have to kind of talk about it in those terms. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I would suggest to applicants that are early on freshmen, sophomore, even juniors, you know, be involved in your community. You know, this is something that is a good thing to do for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, like I was saying, I, I think Scott is right that generally it's a good thing to do. On, in terms of med school applications, it's, it, I mean, I would want to hear Scott differ if he disagrees, but I think clinical tends to carry a little more weight. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But um, but when we're talking about community service, usually the words that med schools use are underserved populations. So um, what I have seen and would recommend not doing is planting flowers in your rich suburb to beautify the roadways. Yes. Right. Um, Pick something where, you know, most of us have some kind of heart pull towards a certain group or a certain situation. Right. So, um, you know, maybe it's um, families who are getting away from domestic violence. Um, You know, maybe it's soup kitchens, maybe it's Habitat for Humanity, but there's probably something that's kind of, piqued your interest that, you know, people who you know are less well off than you and you want to help, or maybe, maybe people have been through the same situation you've been through. So you really relate, um, you know, find that spark and chase that. Um, don't, don't, cause sometimes the, especially the volunteer opportunities that are given to local high school students are often, you know, they're, they're serving the community, but they're not serving underserved populations. And there's, there's a difference. All right. Let's Absolutely. see what's next. Sheeta again. Hello. I applied to 20 schools on my primary application last year, but got COVID and was hospitalized for months. I wasn't able to do any secondary. So would I consider, would I be considered as a reapplicant for all those schools? Uh, I'm sorry that uh, you got COVID and I had to go through that first. Um, if you submitted your application, you were verified by AMCAS, then you are a reapplicant. Yep. 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 And it doesn't mean anything. No. <laughs> doesn't disadvantage you in any particular way. Yeah. Lathfada, hello. Does a misdemeanor that has been expunged still need uh, to be mentioned in the application? 
So read the application services, uh, mm-hmm. read their instructions, read the specific question, and they will tell you. Uh, and then I've done a couple episodes with um, my my uncle-in-law, uh, Larry Cohen, uh, who's a lawyer and deals a lot with uh, professional licensing stuff. And we talk about this and it's, it's very nuanced and of course, very lawyerly in terms of his advice. Um, so you just, you just have to go read this specific question and, and how it's being asked and, and what does it say if it's been expunged or not. So I learned on AMCAS, um, I think it was AMCAS, institutional actions, if it's been expunged, they, they still want it, um, which is weird. They still want an explanation. You still have to mark yes. So yep. Yeah. And I think, um, Scott, you've had this happen once or twice before. We've had cases where students were told that it was expunged, but maybe only in a certain county or a certain state, but not everywhere. So Mm -hmm. be real, real careful, like double check every detail with your attorney. Yeah. And, you know, I've had situations in the past where the attorney says they submitted the paperwork for it to be expunged. And in fact, they had not, and it was not expunged. And the student got crosswise because his his attorney didn't know what he was talking about. Get you some proof. Yeah. Yeah. Get the paperwork so that you see and you have it there as proof. And best of luck because it is still possible to go to med school with expunged or not. Absolutely. not insurmountable. Yep. Yes. Uh, Janelle asks, hello, any advice on how to know what to improve on as a reapplicant? So Janelle, I have a, uh, a couple things for you potentially. Number one is a YouTube series called Application Renovation. Go watch those. We have four seasons. The one that came out, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. Monday, I think. Um, was uh, the one that I've been telling everyone to wait for, 4.0528 student, only one interview and was uh, not accepted. So uh, go watch those, go absorb all of that and see what I say there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other potential is this book here that I wrote, the Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process, has a kind of, you didn't get in, let's look at each of the pieces of your application to see what may be missing. Yep. or if you want something more in-depth and personal, then you can uh, sign up for a session with uh, a mapped advisor uh, by just going to map.com and saying, Hey, I I want a personalized application renovation. Yep. Yep. You can buy a single session. We do them all the time. We've even got it listed as an option. So if you Mm -hmm. put that in the notes, that that's what you want. Well, it'll be just like this application renovation, but private. Yeah. Lots of places. Who wants private though? They all want to be famous. Like I'm on YouTube. I don't know. I think it takes a brave soul to do application renovation on public. I really appreciate the students that do that. Oh, I love it. They are so vulnerable. Yeah. 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 All right. Nick asks, is taking prereqs during the summer frowned upon? No, it is not. I don't know where this this myth is perpetuated from advisors and parents, and I'm, I squash it every two days, yeah. it seems like. Yeah. yeah, it seems like it comes from the fact that sometimes summer courses are compressed. So I have heard students say things like, I took Oakham in the summer, 
and it was so rushed that I struggled even more. Or I got an A or a B, but I don't feel like I learned it. Correct. But, but you know you. Like no one's gonna no one's gonna automatically flag summer is bad. You just have to look. Is this one of those six weeks super mm-hmm. compressed? You know, mm-hmm. if it's something that's normally taught in fifteen weeks and they're doing it in six, like mm-hmm. what's the rest of your summer look like? Because I would want like if I were doing a six week OCHEM course, that would probably be all I did. Right. I wouldn't be trying to do, you know, work and volunteering and stuff. You know, you could if for only six weeks, you could put a pause on those things. Um, so I just be smart about it. Yes. And before we go any further, we would be remiss if we didn't mention may the fourth be with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I drove my daughter to school today and the, the crossing guard was dressed up as Leia. So it was, it was awesome. <laughs> and, and my daughter's like, what is going on? I'm like, do you know, in star Wars, they say, may the, may the force be with you. And I, and I asked what's today. And she goes, the 4th of May. I'm like, may the 4th. She goes, ah, she started cracking up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is an opinion, but I like it. So I'm going to put it up. Freaky fast family history. Shadowing is not a burden to find to shortcut to, uh, shadowing for PA school apps helped me recognize MD was right for me. Mm. Is not a burden to find. I don't know what that means, but anyway, Yes. Yeah. Shadowing is important. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And shadowing multiple specialties sometimes is yeah, part of absolutely. the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And not, not specialties. It's, it's careers, specialties. right? Yeah. 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 Thank you. For- and, and, and you can put that on your application. Um, you, you wouldn't want PA shadowing to be the bulk of your shadowing. Right. But you can put PA, like I shadowed a PA. I shadowed a physical therapist. Put that on your application. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Saba asks, has Dr. Wright, oh, question for Dr. Wright, uh, encountered international applicants in his career, those with undergrad in the U.S. itself? Could he please talk about how differently international applicants are judged in comparison to domestic? So, Dr. Wright, Hmm. you're up. Hmm. So, uh, okay, there's several things I would say about this, Saba. And, and one is that for, for um, international applicants, the concern is typically the ability for you to be trained in the U.S. Uh, that, that's one concern. Uh, you know, trained post medical school, post medical school, yeah. right? So, visa issues, correct? Visa yeah. issues, whether or not residency programs are going to be willing to sponsor, you know, international students, and in, in that depends on the residency program and the yeah. hospital or the yeah. school or whatever. Because it's no longer education at that point; it's a work visa. Correct. That's yeah. correct. And they would have, and the the program would have to sponsor you. Yeah. The, the, so related more to medical school, if you are a non, if you're applying to any schools within the context of the United States, you're going to be considered, if they're a public school, you're going to be considered a non-resident to start with. So that automatically, mm-hmm. outside of whether you're an international student or not, makes it more difficult uh, to get into a school because you're a non-resident of that state. Um, so the, the other part is money. Uh, As an international student, you don't have access to, you only have access to private loans, which are expensive. Uh, Unless you've got uh, a bulk of money from 
mom and dad or whoever in yep. your home country, then this is, this is another big challenge uh, for international uh, applicants. But I think in terms of how admissions committees judge international applicants, they're going to judge you as a non-resident if they're a, a public medical school. If they're a private medical school, then they're going to judge you just right along with everybody else. Uh, there may be a concern about uh, your ability to place uh, for residency, uh, but, and, but you can, there are medical schools that are very international student friendly and, uh, and, you know, typically they, they, those are indicated in the MSAR. So uh, I definitely uh, really use the MSAR for uh, that information. Yeah, I think, I think the big thing that I see day in and day out is international students think that to get accepted as an international student, you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And that, it's just not the case. No, the schools that are international friendly will probably still separate you, maybe, depending on what their process is. But you don't have to be a perfect student. I've seen right. three, six, five, ten students, international students, getting mm-hmm. into places like UCLA. Yeah. So it, it's just going to depend on your application, just like it does for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going the, the limitation is going to be on the number of schools that you're able to apply to. Right. Um, that are really going to uh, take a look at your application. So one resource that we like to talk about a lot is, is a uh, organization called F1 Doctors. And so F1 is, is the name of the visa that you get. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I forget if it's during medical school or, or post uh, medical school, the, the work visa. Um, but it's F1's F1. a student visa. F1's a student. Okay. So yeah. F, F1 is when you're in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, so F1 Doctors, go find them. Um uh, on Instagram, find their website, and they mm-hmm. do uh, free mentoring for for uh, international premeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think uh, I think a visa a work visa is like an H visa. I, if yeah. I recall correctly. Yep. Amy asks recommendations on how to write the COVID essay. I feel like many people dealt with the same things. So. This, this is the same fear uh, that comes up with like, oh, I don't have anything special to write with my personal statement. There's nothing unique about me. All right. It's just like, just tell your story. What happened? How did COVID yeah. affect you? Yeah. 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 And, and th- this is a broader issue. And I agree with you, Ryan. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to tell you this. <laughs> You're not a snowflake. <laughs> You're not a snowflake. You're not unique. You are not going to be unique. Uh, that is not the goal in your application is to be unique because yeah. they've seen it all. They've seen yep. it all many, many, many times. Mm-hmm. What your goal is is to tell your story, tell your story. And if it looks like somebody else's story, then fine. You got to tell your story. That's all you do. Yeah. Um, this came up in application Academy the last time I did a Q and a session and um, you know, the, AMCAS, I'm sorry, the ACOMIS COVID prompt um, gives lots of examples of did these kinds of things happen? So they, the question is, tell us how COVID impacted your path to med school, which isn't necessarily how COVID impacted you, right? Just path to med school, right? Um, but then also it gives a lot of, you know, maybe you had to move out of the dorm, um, maybe you had to drop out of school. It doesn't all have to be kind of that extreme, but it gives a lot of examples. And one of the things that a lot of the academy students were worried about, so I'm sure is common here in this larger group, is 
what if it just sounds like I'm making excuses? If I just say it was hard to find shadowing, it was hard to find clinical, um, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I could imagine as an ad com getting pretty exhausted, reading a whole bunch of COVID essays of people who just kind of use it as an excuse to explain why their ECs look weak. So what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Wright? Or you Ryan. know, yeah, Ryan, you, you, you take that one. I think at the end of the day, the the essay, uh, the fear of being pitied uh, comes up a lot, right? I don't want to feel pitied. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to work really hard to, 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 to get to that point. And so if mm-hmm. you're just saying what happened, like, here's what happened. Here's just my specific situation. Uh, I... Maybe potentially a different way to think about it. The way that I've been talking about the disadvantage essay a lot lately is it's a context essay. Give me context about your life during COVID that will help me see your activities and everything else as you went through this. And yes, it doesn't have to be grand and extravagant and, and just like all trauma and and everyone around you died. And like, no, it's just context. Like, uh, and, and you can, you can even preface it in that way to say, I was fortunate enough to, that's right. Right. Just that's right. That's right. And, you know, I've had people talk about how the, you know, the activities that they did participate in, in, in COVID, you know, maybe they were delivering and maybe it wasn't even anything structured. Maybe it was just a, you know, we're delivering uh, groceries to their neighbors or, you know, whatever. Uh, so I think, you know, talk about how it affected you, but also in, both negatively and positively in terms of your activities during COVID. All right. Well, it's one fifty-seven. so time flies. Oh, yeah. it sure does. When you're hanging out with your best friends. Oh. <laughs> um. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We uh, about uh, we're over a hundred people watching on different platforms. Yeah. Um, we're here every Wednesday at one p.m. Eastern. I'm typically live on Instagram alone on Fridays at eleven a.m. Eastern. Come ask questions. If you haven't checked out Mapped App yet, you get access to us in Mapped App Pro, which you get a free uh, two-week trial for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll throw up a 30-day free trial. Rachel can get that up. Uh, 30 right. days free is the referral code. Um, you'll get 30 days free of Mapped App Pro, and that gives you access to all of Mapped App, including the chat advising with us. So if you have a very specific, nuanced, maybe personal question, mm-hmm. uh, we ask that you kind of go in, get your grades in, and, and give us uh, all of the data first, mm-hmm. and then come ask a question so we can give you some specific feedback and advice. Yeah. So go check it out yeah. at Mapped.com. And keep in mind, like you know, all of you out there who are struggling and feel overwhelmed about the beginning of the application cycle, it's starting you know, now, yeah. uh, you can do this uh, one day at a time, one step at a time. This is possible for you to do. Just focus on what do you got to do today. That's it. Yep. Mic drop. Thank you, everyone. I'll see you next week. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it, 
for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.